We want to welcome to our microphones here. Uh, our guests are from the Erie Coalition for a Trauma-Informed Community. And we uh, have from your the left of your radio dial to the right, uh, Steve Minnick, uh, Cassie Dundon, and Adrienne Dixon. Did I get, was I close on any of these? You were oh, yeah. Okay, it was close. All right. So, Steve, we'll start with you. Uh, this is a family show, and get right up on that microphone there, Steve. Uh, we, we'd love to tell origin stories. So, if you grew up here or if you're a transplant, where'd you go to school and how'd you get to Erie kind of thing? So, oh, okay. Well, that's, I'll, I'll try to make that short because I'm from Altoona originally. Uh, so, kind of an Appalachian kid. Went to sure. uh, school in Dayton, spent 10 years in Philadelphia, ended up here in um, back in Erie because my wife is from Waterford. Okay, originally. so it's e- it's either we're here or we have a spouse usually, and yeah. and 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 it, it's and it stays. How long have you been in Erie then? Or uh, twenty six, twenty seven years wow. now. Good for yeah. you. All right. Yeah. And and uh, what uh, organization or do you have private practice? What's your what's your status? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Family Services of Northwest PA, and um, been there for twenty five years. Done a lot of different things with them, but um, you know certainly we got in, invested in trauma care. When we started treating children about in 2007, so okay. that's how we originally got. Um, and what's your title at Family Services? I'm Vice President of Programs. Okay, terrific. All right, uh, Cassie Dundon, uh, same question. Uh, are you homegrown or are you transplant? I am a transplant. I'm from a small town about two and a half hours from here called Dubois. I, uh, we know Dubois. All right, all right. Shout out to the Dubois folks. <laughs> um, I came to Erie in 2006 to go to graduate school. I was working on my master's degree at Gannon University. I met my to-be husband in that program, nice. and he was uh, he and his family, born and raised Erieites, uh, would never leave, avid outdoorsmen, take it full advantage of all the local resources. Mm-hmm. So we were going to be here and love it till the day we're done. So, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and again, what uh, what is uh, what organization are you affiliated with? Yes, I'm with the Achievement Center. Okay. I'm the Chief Compliance and Planning Officer there. So I get to do the community impact projects, which brings me to the Trauma Coalition. Okay. Wow. And, and when you say compliance, is that is that like a state mandate or how does that work? Yeah, there's some quality compliance and initiatives that every organization like ours has to follow um, to make sure we're providing just really great quality care. So I help to oversee that. But the fun part of my job is the the community impact work. Beautiful. Yeah. Adrienne Dixon, how about the same question? Transplant or homegrown? Well, I guess it's a trend today. I'm a transplant. (laughs) Hey, yeah, Uh, this is unusual (laughs) for us, really. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, Mm -hmm. and um, actually ended up in Erie by a little bit of a fluke. I really did not intend on coming here, but ended up here um, to work on my um, graduate degree and actually never left after wow. I found um, a place I feel like where I had a good community, it was a, a nice community, met my husband at the time. Yeah. And, um, it was just a good place to raise a family. So we decided to stay. And what is your affiliation with what organization? Then? I have actually a dual identity. I'm a um, professor out at Edinburgh University okay. and I'm the program head in the counseling program. And so I train emerging professionals to work in the field and want them trained around trauma initiatives. But I've also been um, an affiliate and employee for Sarah Reed Children's Center for okay. about 30 years now. Wow. So our history, our primary identity is working with kids and families who have experienced trauma. But you are doing some private counseling on campus? Is that, is that no, correct? No, actually, or? I'm an educator. I'm a professor. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, is it, um, and... Uh, um, that's well. That's awesome. So uh, this is, like I said, this is unusual to have three transplants, but it's also really kind of cool how we have kind of a brain gain with the three of you. <laughs> it's not just not just our children leaving and never coming back. It's it's uh, you guys were children once or, or young people, and you said I'm I'm making Erie my community mm-hmm. of choice. So we talk a lot about that. I mean, probably one of our biggest issues as a community is this concept of uh, of of decline in population thus decline in that kind of that power of knowledge that knowledge power but let's get to the let's get to the topic at hand uh cassie you um kind of uh, were inspired to contact us this mm-hmm. is this is a very special program because uh usually we have the ideas this is your idea <laughs> and and of course we we've known about the that you know the the coalition for a trauma informed community, but didn't know anything about it. We just knew that you existed. So let's start right there um, with definitions, and then about the coalition. So, for example, 
we're not talking about what happens in the emergency room at the hospital when it comes to trauma, correct? Correct. So correct. what is trauma in, in, uh, yeah. in, the, in your in your world? There? Yeah, trauma is any situation or series of events that overwhelms a person's ability to cope. And we like to use that general definition because trauma is such a subjective experience. What's sub uh, traumatic to one person might not be traumatic to another. So when we think about trauma in Erie, it can look like a lot of different things. Um, you know, the opioid epidemic and drug overdose deaths, uh, bullying in our schools, domestic violence, abuse, neglect, um, even people struggling to secure their basic needs resulting in poverty and homelessness. That's what the kind of trauma that we're talking about in Erie and how it impacts our community. All right, so just uh, just a slight pushback here. Sure. So if, if trauma is all those things, is trauma anything? Mm. I, hear I mean, because it's a, that's a pretty broad definition, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about everything from poverty and, and immediate needs to, to real physical abuse and mental abuse. I think it goes back to what Cassie said about how people experience it, what meaning they assign to that event or those circumstances, because that's what determines the trauma. Trauma, if they're experiencing a trauma in a way that is characterized by a loss of control, unpredictability, uh, uh, you know, those kinds of things, a sense of chaos, then that's what helps define trauma. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, I think as we learn more and we gain additional research, what's really important, it is everything because not only the way the person experiences, but the impact that it leaves on them and then the community around them. And that's where we want to bring as much attention and a much, as much awareness as we possibly can because our communities have struggled with this for some time and we just didn't have the knowledge and the information and now we do. We have the documentation and we have the data that supports that no, not only does this have individual impact, it has systems-wide impact from families to larger, to larger impacts and ripples in the community. So Adrian, if, if, if we're, to make it simple for that everyday Joe to understand this, it really has nothing to do with the actual action against the person. It's really more of how it's received. For example, if I were to lose a thousand dollars on the street, that may or may not make me not able to cope. You know what I mean? But if but if a poor person has a thousand dollar tax refund and that's what there was going to be their ticket for uh, some transportation mm -hmm. and meant that they would have a job and everything else and they lose that, that could totally knock them out. Right. Uh, is is so? Is it more that subjective? stuff it can be subjective in that way and again i guess i would go to they're not necessarily factors that we haven't had information on so we've known that there are factors that um put people at greater risk like poverty or other areas it may what we haven't really done is looked at it through a trauma lens and i think that's what's more important now it's not as if these issues or events um, or factors didn't exist or not or we weren't aware of them i think we're just more aware of how they can have pretty long-standing impacts so exactly that someone who has um, limited resources and really struggles from day to day and is is looking or has to be dependent on resources and then doesn't have access to that what that may mean to them versus what it means to me i may struggle with it but i'm not necessarily going to maybe feel hopeless about it i may be able to compensate that in other ways um, or be able to accommodate that. And I think that's the thing, how people make accommodations and how they're able to integrate that into their worldview. Yeah. When they're not able to do that and their needs are not able to, met, to be met, then we may see larger ripples happening as a result of that. Now, Steve, you've been, you've been around Erie uh, for 20 some years. Um, is, is Erie uh, more susceptible to trauma than most community like if, if we were talking about a go-go community down south like raleigh durham or whatever are they gonna have the same extent of trauma than maybe erie is, is that a fair question even i don't know yeah I, I think it might be more accurate to say that there are high risk populations okay that um like we know that from from studies the the ace study which we'll talk about adverse childhood experience study that two-thirds two of us experience some trauma in our lives, and uh, at least one. Mm -hmm. And and so um, we also know that, though, if, if you're uh, incarcerated, if you're homeless, if you're a in, in mental health inpatient, 
um, those, if you're a juvenile detention center, chances are you have a higher risk of having experienced traumatic, those ACEs, those adverse childhood experiences. So it's, it, location, I don't know that you, everywhere anybody okay. can experience it. Right. And, and again, it, it's important that you're talking about uh, childhood. So this is, this is kind of where the root starts, right, Cassie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, explain that then. Yeah. So there was some landmark research done about 20-something years ago, um, the ACEs study, the adverse childhood experiences, that showed a connection between the number of uh, adverse or traumatic experiences that a young person experiences before the age of 18 and how that would uh, potentially affect health outcomes. So mm -hmm. people that have um, more uh, traumatic or adverse experiences before the age of 18 are more likely to suffer longstanding uh, chronic health issues, heart, lung disease, obesity, uh, diabetes. They're more likely to engage in risky health behaviors, um, drug use, for example. Uh, they're even more likely to have low life potential, so have trouble learning, have a hard time graduating, um, difficulty sustaining employment. And then on the real far end of that, to the extreme, if a person is uh, exposed to a, a lot of adverse childhood experiences over their time, they could die up to 20 years sooner no. because of this. And there is a lot of research that supports that so these are these are facts these are things that have been replicated and that we know is it always in the socio the lower socioeconomic levels that you would see more trauma or can it happen in in a higher socioeconomic level uh, i think all of us are, are population susceptible none of us are immune to it certainly again those risk factors when you look at um, those adverse factors such as poverty, such as drug abuse or substance use, those things increase the likelihood or the intensity of um, traumatic reactions or tra uh, traumatic responses in communities. But certainly none of us are immune to it. Mm -hmm. So um, trauma impacts our community and trans you know, forms through social economic status, through racial dynamics, through every demographic um, domain that you could think of. So kind, kind I mean, of what, what we've been talking about with the opioid addiction. Exactly. Is, and nobody's immune from this. Exactly. If, if I could just add, you know, I think something that informs that a little bit, the, the ACE study that we're yeah. talking about was done by Kaiser Permanente and the, and, the, and the CDC. But Kaiser Permanente, these were folks who were by and large employed, educated, had insurance. So they were a relatively right. healthy group. Right? Or, you yeah. know, they yeah. were and I think that's that where population. we are more informed because I think historically we looked at traditional populations and said, okay, well, maybe it's over there. And we really didn't have the data that really demonstrated how powerful that these experiences could be and yeah. and certainly didn't appreciate that they you know oftentimes people think you experience something it only happens in a moment and you only deal with it in a moment but there are ripples over time mm -hmm. and over generations yeah uh, and, and not to not to mention stuff that's stuffed you know the how the whole idea of uh a, you know, just not not having it out there and being able to be treated. We're, we're talking to our friends here from the Erie Coalition for a Trauma-Informed Community. Again, we're under, we are learning our the uh, a different definition of trauma, talking about the inability to cope when some is it basically when when some kind of adverse thing happens to you, you just cannot cope with it. Is that is that a really really uh, short term version of that, or not so much? No, <laughs> I don't want to put words in your own mouth. I think another part of it is it's trauma and traumatic stress is really connected to the body stress response system. Okay, everybody's body stress response system has a reaction to stress, and and sometimes this trauma or toxic stress is when that stress system gets stuck on, or it's or it's hyperactive in, in a sense. Wow. Okay, so so yeah, so when you hear about somebody dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, it is almost like that that uh, that switch stayed on. That there was no safety valve for dealing with that stress, right? That yeah. trauma. And we talk about a window of stress tolerance, and that window of stress tolerance is much smaller for somebody who's experienced that kind of reaction. 
We are talking to Steve Minnick, Cassie Dundon, and Adrian Dixon. Uh, if you want to weigh in and you have a question or maybe you have a, uh, a family member that is dealing with trauma, 679-1080. We think we have the phones working, 679-1080. Or you can always just leave a comment as you uh, go to Facebook at facebook.com forward slash talk eerie okay so anyone take this why is trauma a community issue why is this important for eerie in 2019 i think it's important because we as we want to bring as much awareness to this issue as possible because i think you know there's there's no better um summary of this is that it takes a village mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. if we're going to be a village and we're going to continue to grow and thrive as a community it's important for us to have an appreciation for what's happening in our community and we're all responsible for that mm-hmm. and so i think it will take all of us at multiple levels. It, it cannot just rest on the shoulders of the clinicians in um, the hospitals or in the programs. It has to be at every level, faith-based organizations, schools, et cetera. Everyone needs to be aware of this so that we can see more. And I know Cassie is going to talk more about our campaign, but oftentimes we have um, learned to just deal with some things as people, as groups of people, and allowed different dynamics to manifest over time. And so as a community, if we're going to um, live differently, have a different experience, then we're going to have to be responsive to it. Do you feel like it's actually holding us back as a community? The, the, just the sheer, I mean, you hear the story and, and I know I'm, I'm just taking one slice, but this concept of uh, 40% of, of Erie counties on anti-anxiety, anti-depression drugs, you know, that, and no one has disputed that fact to me because that must be real, right? It's a real number. That much medication is going on in our community, mm-hmm. and 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 so does does that uh, hold us back? I think it does hold us back in ways that we um, have not necessarily been as proactive and responsive about how we address it. Yeah. And so sometimes it's like things happen, and we're just engaged around it rather than being proactive and responsive. And I think, you know, there are pockets of um, the community that has. I think those who are highly trained in that area certainly recognize it. But now in this time, how do we get and engage our community around this so that people understand it, that we can minimize the gaps? The reality is we're always going to experience events. That's life. Mm -hmm. But how we respond to it Mm -hmm. and how we engage around it, we can make a difference there. Okay, so, uh, so the three of you have been, you know, you know, uh, Adrian, you're working at EUP. Cassie, you work at the Achievement Center. Mm-hmm. Steve, you're working at uh, at the, you know, Family Services. And you know, and I know what it's like to work in, in the nonprofit world. You, you got you, you got a big caseload. You're just grinding through it all. At some point, you said you got together and said, "We've got to go. We've got to team up here." How did that work? How did the coalition start? Yeah, I was hoping you would ask, because I think it's just a testimony to the collaborative spirit that's alive and well in Erie right now. So um, originally, Family Services and the Achievement Center got together looking for a way that we could collaborate. Um, We we have a lot of overlap with services that we provide, and we wanted to come together around something we both really believed in. We were both doing some uh, trauma-specific treatment at the time at our respective organizations, and we thought, you know, what if we took this a step further and scaled it up? What if we tried to create some community conditions that were more trauma sensitive so that when we send our clients back out into Erie, out of their treatment rooms and into their community, if if our community was more trauma sensitive, if it was more trauma responsive, would that lead to better lasting outcomes for those families? So it's literally teaching the community to, to help cope. Uh, uh, the the folks around us cope. I mean, I mean that's it's that's it comes right down to that. I mean, it's really something else when you think about it, and 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 certainly a heavy lift. Yeah, and while there's certainly a lot of people that come to us, we recognize that there are a lot of people who don't, and and so mm. we're trying to reach out to those folks and get them information and knowledge as well, so that they um, they have some tools to deal with this. Lots of folks just going around undiagnosed or untreated. Uh, by the way, we have to go to a news break, but it's always crazy for a news for a radio talk show to, to be spewing what I'm thinking is hyperbole, and I get just nothing but nodding heads. I mean, mm-hmm. like, um, so we have some issues that we're trying to deal with here, and this, this wonderful uh, Erie Coalition for a Trauma-Informed Community is working to address those. I'm with Steve Minnick, Cassie Dundon, 
and Adrian Dixon. They're from the Erie Coalition for a Trauma-Informed Community. Steve uh, uh, works with uh, Family Services. Cassie works with the Achievement Center. And Adrian uh, works at uh, Edinburgh University as a professor also with Sarah Reed. And um, let's, let's keep moving forward because we're literally halfway through our conversations and I got two questions done. So, um, you know, let's talk about this initiative and this coalition for a f- trauma-informed community. Again, what is that mission? What are you trying to accomplish with your programs for the, for the coalition? Right, so we're a really collaborative group of service providers, community centers, universities, schools, concerned citizens, and businesses. And what we're really trying to do is to reduce the impact of trauma and to enhance resiliency in our region. Okay, enhance resiliency, but that's a whole other deal, right? Right. So um, the, uh, you know, you mentioned that originally it was uh, Family Services and the Achievement Center Mm -hmm. getting together. Then you kind of brought in all of your other partners um, yeah, you know, there's, there's, what is it? Five different work groups here that, that, uh, you, so you're like dividing and conquering yeah. when it comes to trauma. Talk about that. Yes. Anyone? Yeah. So, so well, awareness, so, you know, what's, what's the awareness group do? Yeah. So that has a lot to do with the campaign that we just launched called, you know, we refer to it as the see more campaign. So okay. that's about getting information and knowledge out to the community. It's about raising awareness. It's about increasing the conversation around trauma and toxic stress and resiliency, all those things, so that we can more people know about it and have knowledge. Did you get a grant for this, or did you fundraise, or you guys kind of ponied up each of you, or what? Yeah, we have amazing partner organizations okay. that allow us to spend some time and volunteer our time and contribute just in different in-kind ways. So, you know, Sarah Reed, Achievement Center, Safe Harbor, uh, Department of Human Services, Lecom Health, System of Care Erie, you know, just to name a few. I don't want to leave anybody but, but out. But billboards are not cheap. I mean, right. the money had to come from somewhere to, to start informing the trauma-informed community. So yes. um, yeah. let's let's talk about research. Uh, Adrian. you know, what kind of research are the, the universities helping with that? Or Absolutely. We have some great partners at Penn State Barron and, and even out at Edinburgh who are looking at different initiatives. Um, Dr. Wilson Brown is looking at training aspects, what um, is important in terms of, again, training folks um, at very basic levels, but then also looking at what is important for professionals to know and how to train them. I think so, also- I'll cut you off for a second there. Mm-hmm. So we're making a distinction between what the professionals are doing. So if I have an MSW, I'm going to be doing it, attacking this problem at, at a totally different level than let's say if I uh, run a youth group. You know, at my church or at my faith-based organization. Exactly. I mean, is that what we're talking about here? Absolutely. Some basic levels of awareness and maybe even intervention or response to that. Um, And then professional response. I think that's, you know, different. He's gone out to or his group has gone out and trained um, a couple of organizations. But also I think there is... um, uh, an, an appreciation that our lay people, our grassroots roots people need education and need to be supported around what's important and how to identify some of the potential, um, uh, I don't want to call it triggers, but dynamics that may really speak to trauma. So what does that look like? I mean, are we talking about the, that you would go to a workshop, that you might get a handbook? Uh, do I go to the website and maybe take a self-evaluation quiz? I don't know. At this point, it has been very formalized training, meaning okay. that uh, he and a team of folks would come out and actually do a workshop and engage people in dialogue around it. I think all of those things collectively with our campaign of the Seymour, the bullets, uh, the billboards and the radio shows so that people yeah. are like, wait a minute, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. And they dial in and they tune in to different events that's going on or when they see um, media, uh, you know, uh, campaigns uh, around the community that they have an appreciation for what that looks like so that they're asking more questions and they are dialoguing about it. We don't expect the community to be the experts in it, but we want to raise the awareness and their knowledge base around it. And again, understanding that I'm I'm a pretty informed guy and I didn't know anything about this until mm-hmm. today. So uh, it, it's it's it you know it's, there's going to be a lot to do there. Sure. Uh, you, you mentioned training. Let's talk about resources. There's a resources work group. What, what are we talking there? 
Yeah, so the resources work group, uh, their first charge was to get a pulse on all the specific trauma resources that were available just in Erie. And so uh, a couple months ago, they did put out a, an Erie-specific trauma resource guide, okay. and that is on our website. It's available there. Um, it's got live links in it, too, so people can click around there. Um, but it's just specific agencies, private practitioners, support organizations, uh, places that people could reach out to for specific traumas that they had. Um, that group has also helped us put together or curated all of the resources for our website. And then they are also responsible in our community meetings. We often get feedback from the people that attend those meetings, you know, what they're looking for, what would be helpful as far as resources. That group kind of chews on that uh, feedback and produces items based off of what the community is asking us for in our meetings. So um, just so that we're not reinventing the wheel, are we also working with things like the 211 yes. system and all that stuff? So like, I mean, again, yes. there's a whole other media campaign yeah. going for 211 so yes. uh, you know when you when you need help you call 211 and they, they would be able to access yep. the trauma stuff 211 and united way have been great partners with us they helped us to develop the resource guide and they were a part of that and as well and they've worked with us on helping to define the keywords and honing in on those things um, that would feed into their website to make it stronger for folks that are looking for trauma resources if they call 211 Again, we're talking to our friends from the Erie Coalition for a Trauma-Informed Community. Maybe you have a question. Our phone lines are available, 679-1080-679-1080. Let's talk about the diverse population engagement. Are there certain folks, whether they're uh, you know, veterans or uh, you know, new Americans, that are harder to reach than others? I think our um, diversity committee right now is just looking at how can we respond um, in the most um, creative and um, engaging way possible, looking at the level of diversity that exists in our community. Times, yeah. And we're not looking to replace. There are wonderful organizations and entities that already exist that address a number of these populations. I think our role and our goal here is to have a better understanding and appreciation of what the need is from a diverse perspective. So that when we're so looking... So you all are doing a lot of learning while you're engaging. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the only way we're going to engage them if we yeah. understand and can appreciate it. So what might work for me may not be as effective for a new American who has come from, you know, a war torn community. Their needs may be really different. And how do we engage them? Um, we don't want to have one lens in this campaign and one lens in how we're looking at service delivery. We want to be responsive to our community as a whole. And that includes children to adults to looking at racial, ethnic, linguistic, um, uh, spiritual diversity. Yeah. We're really looking at this in a very comprehensive way. And Steve, I'm going to ask you this question because you've been around a while. The 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 concept uh, of up until now, or not up until recently, I should say, has it been that uh, you know that the, the the organizations kind of run their plan, or, and now there's. I, I'm just asking: is is this a paradigm shift? For, uh, for a really old organization like Family Services or uh, Achievement Center? It's a paradigm shift for everyone, yes. Okay. So, it is. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And, and I just wanted to piggyback off something Adrian said because during the break we talked about how um, leadership in the Martin Luther King Center and the Booker T. Washington Center were also involved in this on the ground floor because often those people that we don't normally have interaction with are coming to those centers for things that they need and, it's, and they're recognizing the need too. And, and so that's an important aspect of that. Wow. What, where, where else has this been done that has been s successful? Again, Erie's one of those show me, show me communities, you know, that we want to know that it's been proven. Um, any any uh, any benchmarking? Um, yeah, towns? there's there's some communities across the country. Um, Tarpon Springs, Florida, is the one that comes to mind most familiar for me. They've probably been doing it the longest, and they're just now getting some outcomes that are pretty positive as far as you know reduced recidivism, um, you know more engagement, more civic engagement, um, people just feeling more socially connected and attending more community events, um, things like that. I yeah. think uh, in Pennsylvania, there's a group in Pittsburgh, Focus Pittsburgh. They're doing some tremendous work. Uh, some 
some community building efforts there. I mean, there, there are pockets of this everywhere. One thing to toot our own horn, um, we were recognized by the PA Attorney General's office for the work that we're doing in Erie. We were recognized as one of a few communities across the state that's been able to take this on in a meaningful way. So we're excited about Pennsylvania taking strides as a state wow. to become more trauma-informed. So it's exciting to see that, that happen. Is, that's a, that is exciting. I, just thinking about metrics, what what would be um, not that there's a finish line, but what are success uh, factors? What are uh, what are desired outcomes? You mentioned a couple of them just now that less recidiv. I always get that name. Yeah. <laughs> less people going back into prison. You know, uh, um, you know uh, the. But uh, having an overall understanding that we are more healthy in behavioral health. How do you how do you measure that? I think it's a number of ways in which it gets measured, and we've talked a lot about this. Um, I'm glad I'm asking a question that you're talking a lot about, right? We are, because I think, you know, it may look different depending on some of the dynamics, but in general, um, you know, we've, we've talked about some surveys that we can create um, where people can identify whether or not they have seen a value in terms of the fact that we're asking them a question or that we're checking in around this, and do they see value in that, and have they noticed um, improvement in, in, you know, in different areas. So I think we have not, you know, necessarily finalized that, but we are sure. definitely talking about establishing that and being able to track this over time mm -hmm. so that we can continue to demonstrate the efforts that we're putting into this, that it has value and that we're seeing it, um, you know, really have an imp have a significant impact in our community. And, and I, it sounds like to me that you're trying to, you're trying to instill into people that care about other people some some idea of of uh, things to look out for. for you know you think about all the other public uh, awareness campaigns how to look for a stroke what 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 are the four the four letters right uh, of course face like face yeah. right you know you know uh, i i think about when i was a believe it or not i was a middle school uh, cross country coach and i had to go through certification uh, for uh, you know if for uh, you know for uh, con you know, when you get hit in the head, oh my gosh, I'm losing my concussions and uh, <laughs> in uh, heat exhaustion, and you know, I mean, and and those are things that a coach didn't have to do two years before I started coaching, and so this is what we're trying to teach the people that are the youth group workers, and they might be the volunteer at the community center, or they might be, you know, uh, might be a granddad or grandma, yes. you know, who who are saying, you know what, this this child. It's exhibiting these things that I heard about on the radio or that I saw on this website, these these symptoms of, of trauma. Is that what you're getting at? I, yeah. Let me put it this way. I think it, this is not maybe a strong metric, but we're looking to create aha moments. And as an example, there was a principal that went to uh, a, a conference that the, the coalition was able to sponsor uh, some people to go to. And that principal went to the conference, heard about ACEs, heard about trauma, toxic stress, resiliency, and had an aha moment about how important this really is in addressing the kids' behavior at their school and how this is affecting the kids in the school. And even on an individual level, we want aha moments because yeah. pe people that experience kind of, you know, they think they're going crazy when they're experiencing these kinds of reactions and symptoms. And so uh, if they understand what's happening inside of them and they have some knowledge about that and they understand that the response is, is, is normal to an abnormal situation, uh, it's empowering to know how trauma and toxic stress impacts your brain and your nervous system. So if you're wanting, the, you're wanting the people that. that are going through this to understand, uh, have a little more self-awareness of what they're going through. That's mm -hmm. part of it, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think wow. it's such an expansive project that, you know, <laughs> we've really taken on, but there's really no true way to take one piece of it and just do it. I mean, you could, yeah. but I think what the coalition was really saying is there's so many moving pieces to this. We want to embrace all of them and we want to remove the silos. Cause I think people were doing work and people had some appreciation, mm -hmm. but we were operating independently and autonomously. Yeah, right. And so when we all come together, we mm -hmm. can take this on and have a greater appreciation. We'll have that main campaign that people all of a sudden recognize this. They know what this is just like if to say, Oh, is this a stroke or a heart attack? You see those campaigns, 
things about the heart attack or the stroke. They're going to know that when they, oh, wait a minute, what is this? We shouldn't be silent around this issue. There are resources in our community that can help us. And then we have those aha moments where people get it and understand that this can impact a, a child's way of thinking, a child's way of learning, how they engage. So when we're talking about how important this is, it really does have an impact on the community, even in terms of how our children are experiencing their educational settings and how teachers are able to respond to that in the classroom. So, And, and it, by being a trauma-informed community, we can be a healthier community. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, a great first step for anybody to take if this is all kind of glazing over you and you're not <laughs> sure where to go with it um, is just this really simple perspective shift. You know, instead of asking what's wrong with someone, you think what's happened to them. Mm. And and just a pausing and allowing yourself to ask that question, I think, would create a kinder, more compassionate community for all of us. Wow. What instead of what's wrong with you, what's happened to you? Yes. Wow, that's in something else. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow this break off because we want to we want to keep talking here. We have about uh, ten minutes left. Uh, make make it more like eight. Uh, we we're you were in the middle of this trauma awareness campaign. Now it's happening through May, dude. I I feel like uh, you folks are gonna need to keep this to like May of 2025. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so much to understand and learn. And you know we're and we're we're. You know, we're just kind of tapping at it uh, as if we were in uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption with that little <laughs> that little pickaxe. You know, uh, we're just getting to the surface of this issue. Um, but uh, tell me about your campaign. What are you doing? How how is it going? Are people responding? I, I believe so. You know, I, I, it's it's early to tell. But uh, like we had the last community meeting, and attendance was twice as what the other community meetings have been. Oh wow! And and so that was a good sign. The mayor even came, uh, so That's we nice. were really happy to see that. And mm -hmm. and um, so you know, it's really this whole campaign is an invitation. It's an invitation for people to try to find out more about this topic. Like you said, we're just scratching the surface. So mm -hmm. asking and inviting people to dig into it more and to find out more about it. And by primarily going to our website first and finding out things or getting some training or, you know, talking to somebody in the, in the group or getting involved. And, I, and again, I understand that the, that the word itself is the clinical word. Mm -hmm. Does it is it is it a handicap though? I mean, because it, because of the issue, because of the double meaning, you know, uh, what you just described, Cassie, of what's happened to you, makes it much more clear to me than mm -hmm. you know. Have you experienced trauma? Right. You know. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? It is, and I think that's why we have so many. Um levels around the campaign is so that we can decrease the stigma around it and give greater appreciation and understanding for really what we're talking about and ways that we can engage the community so that there's not, um, you know, that retraction and that fear about coming mm -hmm. forward for this fear about having a diagnosis that really that all of us at any point on this continuum can be impacted by this and that this isn't a negative thing. We want people to understand as, as much as any one of us could have a heart attack or any one yeah. of us could have a stroke. Any one of us can experience trauma and loss, and it can have um, a, a significant impact on our lives and the people around us. It, it, it is kind of moving to think of the so many people walking around mm -hmm. with an inability to either cope. Mm -hmm. uh, or, I mean, we're saying that every, you just said everybody's somewhere on that continuum, you know, whether they were bullied, you know, 50 years ago, you know, or... Or, you know, I think about those grandparents that, you know, that still stings, mm -hmm. but they were able to cope. And that's the differential here. We have people that are walking around our community that are in our families, that are in our schools, in our, our places of business. It's that, that, that one person that we really have a hard time communicating with, maybe. You have no clue what they're carrying. Exactly. It's, it's really... It's really something, you know, it's it's the, you know, until you walk in, in somebody else's shoes a mile mm -hmm. that yeah. you really understand what they're going through. That's exactly it, Joel. And it's so much about that connection piece. I mean, our brains, our bodies, we're hardwired for relationships and for connection. And so a big part of the coalition is about building resiliency so that people could be able to overcome, you know, those adverse situations that they've been through. And a key part to building resiliency is that social connection. And, you know, us reaching out for each other, checking in on each other, you know, 
um, if you are a parent or a caregiver of a child, that you're providing that stable, nurturing, consistent relationship. Those are all those protective factors that build people up so that if they do encounter a trauma, they're able to kind of bounce back and become more resilient. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we, you guys all know my brother, Jeff. He's been on this show multiple times. And he talks about how our family, our family of eight, right? I mean, my mother was at her wit's end <laughs> raising all these kids. But because my dad and mom were together and dad worked and, and you know, like he's, Jeff says we won the lottery mm-hmm. because there's just so many other ways. Not, not that families can't make it with less resources, but having those resources sure helped. Absolutely. And so if we would experience trauma, if we uh, would experience tragedy, the ability to, to cope, to be resilient, to, to bounce back is there because of that context. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're, we, we're trying to understand as a community is, you know what, not everybody had y- your, your loving little Italy family and, and all of the all of the moms around the neighborhood would get into up in your business, but we're taking care of you, right? I mean, not everybody had that. And, and so it is just, it, it really is gonna require you turning up your empathy to 11, you know? It really will, won't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We love the Brene Brown work. We got a great video on our website about her, um, you know, conceptualizing the difference between empathy and sympathy. And you're just so right on with that empathy and being able to step a little bit in a person's shoes and understand where they're coming from. And that'll soften your approach a little bit, a little more humanity in your interaction. And with with survivors and, and um, victims, I mean, part of it is too the self-compassion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and becoming aware of themselves of why are my relationships not working? You know, why am I depressed? Why am I not being able to hold a job? You know, but coming to some realization, understanding that this could be part of it. Let's try to sneak a phone call in really quick. Uh, um, hello, caller. You are live with our friends from the Erie Coalition for a Trauma Informed Community. You have a, a question? Oh, that, maybe that wasn't what they wanted to talk about. <laughs> they, they jumped right off. Anyway, uh, that's okay. We've got like two minutes left here uh let's talk about what you've got coming up event wise uh there's a a big sc- a film and screening at erie insurance auditorium yes. explain that right yeah so we're showing the film resilience um it's talking about the science of hope and resiliency and um ways that people can learn about how to overcome adversity and how that adversity affects people in different walks of life it's a really engaging film it's had awesome reviews from across the country and other communities that have viewed it and then the coalition will be facilitating a panel in collaboration with System of Care Erie um, to just talk through what everybody viewed that night. System of Care of Erie, I think they're our next guests, actually. Yeah. So because they do the the open table, right? Yes, they okay. do. Wow. <laughs> the kudos to Shani over That's here because right. she, she made this happen. Uh, um, and then you have uh, community trainings coming up in June and in August. So yes. talk about those, yeah. Yeah, those are both um, one-hour trainings, free, open to the public, and that's a lot of what Steve and Adrian were talking about, just getting the message out to the community, opening their eyes a little bit more to the prevalence of trauma, how it um, inter- impacts us, and what they can do about it. All right, let's 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 talk about your website. It's uh, org, and we'll throw, we'll throw up the link on our website when this podcast goes up. Uh, what are they going to find there at the website? Well, they'll find an explanation of um, what the coalition does, what you know, what our mission is, what our values are. They'll find out um, th- there's some links to some TED Talks and, and other videos that educate them on um, the issues that we've been talking about. Uh, they'll find out links to be able to join the web, uh, to join the work groups. Okay. So there's, yeah. those are open work groups then? Yes. Oh, they, yeah. could, they could be a participate. There's also a training request form. If anybody would want us to come out and do a free training at their site, they could fill out that form. We usually get back to them pretty quickly. Wow. And we have a really cool opportunity for folks to make a pledge to become an Ectic Hope Ambassador. Basically, be a volunteer agent of change in our community. Learn more about this. Help spread the word and get other people involved. And there's lots of information about that on our website. And again, if you like Facebook, it's at Trauma Informed Erie. So just type that into the search bar at uh, uh, Trauma Informed Erie, and we'll uh, we'll uh, make sure we're. I'm 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 moved. I'm overwhelmed. Thank you so much. 
I want to thank Cassie especially because you made this happen. But thank you so much to uh, Steve and uh, Adrienne. Thank you for sharing and, and for doing it. I mean, really, I'm sure this means extra hours for you folks of, of making, and making sure that the, our community is better through this uh, identification of what this is all about. This is a, a special one today. We just got back from a, an hour-long conversation with the Erie Coalition for a Trauma-Informed Community. And now we're going to kind of go down a level a little bit further, be more specific, and learn about the open table. And uh, we have back with us Adrienne Dixon. She is from uh, uh, Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania and also works with the uh, Sarah Reed. And we, and we welcome Nicole Wells with the Achievement Center and uh, the System of Care Program Director. And uh, John Bryden, old friend. Uh, uh, we're calling you a retired attorney these days. We are. And, uh, and also a member of one of the tables. And so we're going to unpack all of this. And so welcome. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you. Uh, we, we, it's a family show, so we get origin stories. Did you grow up here in Erie, or are you a transplant? And no. come right up on that microphone, sir. Okay. No, I'm, I'm Erie, born and raised. Uh, I went uh, lived on the Lower East Side of Erie. Yeah. Went to East High. Went yeah. to Gannon University, then Gannon College. Went away for three years to Dickinson Law School. Came back and have been oh. in Erie, Lawrence Park, and Northeast ever since. Three years in Carlisle and all the way back, huh? That's it. You know, my brother Alan went to Carlisle. They're yes. both both uh, alums there. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, uh, welcome, Nicole. Uh, tell you. tell your story. Uh, so I was born and raised in Erie, Pennsylvania, nice. actually in Waterford area, so right up the street. So you're a bison? I am not, though. I went to private school. Okay, where'd you go? St. Boniface, okay. and then Villa, yeah, okay. and then, a victor, then. Mercyhurst right. College, before yeah. it was the university. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and, and what was your major at Mercyhurst? Psychology. Okay, so, um, uh, did, did, uh, so we have folks that do the social work side of things. We have folks that do this psychology side. I know this because my daughter is a psych major at Slippery Rock, and she had that big determination. She had two of her, um, her aunt and her uncle. Her uncle is a social worker. Her aunt is a psychology uh, master's, and so they had a they duked it out for her. So, so they she, analyze you often. <laughs> yes. Ex- <laughs> well, actually, my daughter, anal- oh my gosh, she she like. Talk about uh, you know un, uh, unwrapping some some old trauma that I had uh, stuffed about uh, thirty years ago. But you know, <laughs> just you know, growing up in the inner city, you know, has its uh, has its fun moments. Anyway, we um, we are moving along here. We're going to talk about this open table, and and maybe Nicole, you can kind of explain the origin of that. Sure. So uh, Open Table um, kind of grew out of this um, idea that the Erie Christian Business Leaders Association had when they were looking for a speaker for their um, annual prayer breakfast two years ago. So in September, they decided to host John Katoff, who is the founder of Open Table. Um, he's from Arizona. And um, uh, Open Table kind of birthed out of this idea that this homeless man was entering their church and he refused to leave. And they would hand out things, blankets and food. Um, and he just kept coming back and they said, what if we did something different? You know, we no longer offered him a transaction and just gave him things. What if we invited him in and treated him like family? Mm-hmm. Would, would we have a relationship with him and would his life be different? And that's exactly what they did. His name was Ernie and um, they got a group of volunteers together out at their church um, and they supported him on a weekly basis for a year and they developed relationships, um, essentially like a pseudo family or a natural support system. And from that, he was able to uh, get a job and stable housing and be self-sustainable. And so uh, the system of care work in Erie is a grant that the Department of Human Services received. And we said, how can we better serve some of these foster care youth who are aging out of the system? So in Erie County every year, there's approximately 20 or more um, youth that age out around 20 two years old and oh is they're they're actually that old i didn't realize that yeah around that they, age they get to, they get to stay mm-hmm. until 21 okay correct and so they likely fall victim to poverty because they don't have mm-hmm. anybody to lean back on you know they don't have families and relationships with people they have professional relationships with their caseworkers but mm-hmm. they don't have anyone uh, to call to celebrate natural life um, celebrations accomplishments or you know go through challenges together and so we said how can we better support them because we noticed that we are not really doing that transition 
transition age population justice. And so the open table was just one model that we looked at on how we can better support them uh, by wrapping around them, uh, creating these relationships that will hopefully last a lifetime and, and help them become self-sustaining adults. Was it a situation where there was a model and there was this need, this felt need, and so we were able to kind of mesh that together? Correct. So the open table is a model. It's a poverty transformation model, right? And so the idea is that through relationships, people can grow and overcome any kind of life challenges, right? If you think about the good times in your life, who did you call? You called family, you called friends, you wanted to celebrate with them. But also when you had challenges in life, who did you call? You had someone to say, hey, my car broke down, give me a ride to work, right? Yeah. So when you have those kinds of connections with people in the community, you're able to stay um, connected and, and, and meet your goals and to achieve them. Um, and without them, you, you can't. Yeah. It's impossible yeah. to walk through life alone. It takes a village. And so the, the concept of the table is that, the, what is it, once a week, you know, to explain the table mm -hmm. uh, as you're experiencing it, John. Well, once a week for one hour, we commit to meet together. And this is not however many adults, table members, getting together to look down from on high on this person who needs help. It's not the star chamber. It is not. Rather, it's really built like a, a corporation, and the CEO is the person coming out of foster care or who needs this foundation that they missed growing up. And we're there to listen to them find out what their goals are, and then use our life experiences, our social capital as a group to try and meet them and help them in ways that our families would have. I went from going to East High School to becoming an attorney, and I had a family to help me. I had social capital available. A lot of these kids don't. They're coming out. They don't know how to budget. Uh, they don't know have the background and the resources to make right decisions that won't harm them perhaps for years and that's what we're trying to provide uh, advice to get them where they feel they want to go and it, it's just it's small in that we're working for a year with one person mm -hmm. but it's in depth and at the end of that year hopefully that will ripple out to other friends other family members and it just has worked. We're starting ours. We haven't seen a lot of working yet in ours, although we've seen some progress. But if you look at Open Table, and by the way, if you look at it on a website and just look at Open Table, you'll get a restaurant reservation service. I was going to say, yeah, that's a pretty famous uh, name. Right? You have to do the Open Table. The open and then table. I think Nicole has some other places it can be resourced. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you if you look at that, it gives you a real good picture of how this has worked over many years very, very successfully to the point where a lot of governments are seeking it out because it is working. Oh, so, Adrian, you know, when you, when you think about your, your experience with children and, and, and folks, there's a lot of people going around with little to no so social capital. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. I mean, so this is uh, this is a, at least one chance to kind of look at one of these subpopulations, one of these uh, people groups to say, OK, these are young adults aging out of the foster care system. They've had their life basically run for them for their entire life or for much of their life. Right. Um, how do we, you know, be that family uh, substitute? Right. Can you explain that? And, you know, I think that is, um, you know, we we're already talking about what what becomes important is we know as human beings, we don't we don't live in a vacuum. We're very social beings. We learn through relationships with one another. And so when you have an individual who not only have these, you know, adverse challenges and experiences through their life that has created isolation for them, that they have not had the resources in the social support systems that really position them to be resilient um, mm -hmm. yeah. in, in the communities. And so I think this Open Tables is about um, creating those opportunities. I have a great uh, colleague of mine out at Edinburgh who wants to work with this population. So it's really about how do you insert that and give them those resources that are consistent, that are um, over time. And I think that's one of the challenges when you look at what I would call categories 
categorical services or services in the community. They're great services, but they tend to have limitations and boundaries to them. And what the table does is it transcends that boundary that creates that social support system and that sense of community for them. Um, over the years, I've worked with lots of young people in my 30 years. And um, one of the things that I have found, and actually Nicole and I have a, a mutual friend, that one of the things that it got established because this young person had no, she had she had family resources, but she didn't she didn't have access to them okay. because yeah. of the system. Um, and you know, so one of the things I just you know, decided to do that I was going to commit to this young person. Hmm. And one of the things that I found um, to be what I think really made the difference was telling her, you're going to have a relationship and a family connection, a support system, irregardless of what happens. When you need to call someone, you can call. When you need help figuring out how to go to college, you have someone to relate, you know, to come to. When there's a problem in your world, okay, your mom is not there or your dad, you have someone you can pick up the phone who's going to come and advocate for you and who's going to be there for you. I can't commit in other ways, but I'm going to commit that way. And, you know, me and my family talked about it and you'll have um, these sibling relationships with, so we became a pseudo family. It wasn't to take away from her other resources. It was beyond her control or their control that she didn't have access to that. Um, But, you know, today she's excelling. I'm so proud of this kid. I cannot tell you she's doing great things um, and she's moving forward. But I think part of that is she needed a grounding. And that's what we're talking about. The table creates that foundation that um, for many of them, it feels like I'm a spider dangling from a web. And at any minute I could fall. It could snap. Mm -hmm. And so when you create that support system, if you fall, we're here. We're going to help you. We're not going to let you fall. We're going to help hold you up and help you walk through the community so that you can feel strengthened and encouraged. Is it is it accurate to say, Nicole, that um, that because this is volunteers that are coming along someone who's at the center of the table, if you will, um, that it, it really it really it, it shows some great metrics right away or I, I'm trying to get to the point of, you know, it's not just another government program. It's really more of a people on people relationship kind of thing. Correct. Um, the open table allows us to ignite um, human potential through relationships. And um, it's something that's been founded on 15 years of experience and um, research through John Vandenberg's work um, with the wraparound model, where essentially you wrap around an individual and you carry them and walk with them through life and you support them through ups and downs. Um, it is a licensed model that has some fidelity to it. Um, and they have some research on the website that you can look up for it. And that they, it's more of a longitudinal study where they say how many people are still in relationship with their table members once the one year has ended okay and it's not a federal program it's not a service and it's not a it's just a support it's an extra resource within the community Um, and i think a lot of people are used to making formal referrals and that's not what open table is it's about breaking down the boundaries and meeting people where they're at and 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 really it's a it's kind of a never-ending you know, a pipeline of these of these young people because, like you say, twenty or so uh, age out of the foster system every single year. Right, right here in Erie County. Right. As we kind of find out a little bit more about the least of these, I think it's a fitting topic for the National Day of Prayer. As we talked, as we prayed for earlier today at City Hall for all kinds of different parts of uh, of uh, the community, We're, let's talk about those that are, have experienced. You know, let's pray for those who have experienced trauma. Let's pray for those who um, who are have you know have been in, in the foster been foster kids and and now they're foster adults and they're aging out. What happens next? Well, open table is a model that helps. And it, it's just individuals. It's it's uh, people that are volunteering to just kind of give a rip about somebody else, another citizen, another friend, a, a neighbor, you know, being a, a good neighbor, if you will, for if we're really uh, saying it here. And so we have with us, um, we have uh, John Bryden, Nicole Wells, and uh, uh, Adrian Dixon. They're with us here. Uh, and... Uh, um, John and and uh, Adrian are on tables, 
And uh, Nicole is with the Achievement Center, and, and you're the director or the program director of the System of Care. And that's kind of been the driver of putting some administration behind this mm -hmm. thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so the system of care work um, made it possible for Open Table Model to be brought to Erie because it is a licensed model. There was some funding involved with that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had to kind of create this governing body, which we call the convening table, this group of volunteers who gets together on a monthly basis to really champion this cause, recruit congregations and volunteers who are involved and really help to figure out a way to add structure and sustainability to this effort. We don't want this fire to burn out because, like we said, there are these youth are going to continue to age out of the foster care system and they're mm -hmm. going to continue to need support and we don't want to just you know leave them without that and so we really are here today to say you know learn more about the open table model because it's a wonderful transformation process not only for the brother or sister that we're serving but there's this ripple effect that happens with the table members where they come together as unlikely pairs and they learn from one another in their experiences and um, it's unlike any kind of transformation I've seen before because in, in my work as a clinical therapist um, you're always bound by professional uh, boundaries and yeah. and you can't celebrate uh, certain things and you can't rescue people when they need it the most or when they're hurting or you know uh, when they're going through a, a divorce or something like that and and those are those times where people can make or break and they really need someone mm -hmm. to help them rise above and and so the open table allows that you know um, allows them to have those relationships where they're able to call on you in those difficult times of, of need and not just in a clinical way, like mm -hmm. I need to talk to somebody about what's happened to me. Um, and so we're here today to really talk about how that open table model is so important to these youth in the foster care yeah. system who are aging out and how we would love to have some more congregations who would be interested in being licensed to host tables and then who would be able to recruit volunteers. And so I'd like to invite anybody who's interested as a concerned um, community member or a potential volunteer or a faith leader or even a congregation member who's interested in, in, in joining us um, to our coffee and conversation on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 a.m. at Panera Bread on Keystone Drive. Those are one-hour sessions where we just share with you what is the model, what is it like, what would you gain from this experience, and how can you influence the lives of others. So everybody is welcome. It's free and open to the public. I also encourage anybody to check out our website to learn more, www org. There's a whole section on the open table Erie. Um, and there's all of our uh, quarterly newsletters are on there. So from the inception of this in Erie County, how we chose the population that we're currently serving, how and and what the convening table is up to, how many tables we have in Erie. This is something great. You know, we launched in June of 2018. We had the goal of doing 10 tables within the first year. We're up to three. We have two licensed congregations, total of 17 volunteers and two mission leaders, okay. and about six people on our convening table. So it's really becoming a community initiative, and we are looking for more. Well, it does seem like it, it fits well with, you know, church congregations and in Sunday school groups and so on, because, uh, you know, uh, the you know, there there's there's a, a way a place of service. There's a place of of of, uh, of reaching out. John, I have to ask you, you know, how 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 does it work, you know, for a 22 year old to kind of connect with an older gentleman like you? I mean, uh, this I mean, like are how does how does that work? I mean, because and, and is there are there are there, you know, are there needs to be somebody? Well, somebody that can speak my language or, you know, be in my generation or, or does that not matter at all? It, we're not trying to be his best friend. Uh, in, in our case, I'm, I'm 30 plus years older than yeah. our brother. Uh, our goal is to help him get over some of life's bumps and bruises because this person literally does not have family. Gotcha. So he's either going to rely on his peers who are in the same sort of inexperienced stage of life, or he'll turn to us. By coming to Open Table, he's agreed to do that. And, and we don't try to boss him around. We just make ourselves available. He had a car problem uh, a couple weeks ago, and he called me because his car wouldn't work. He called me because he couldn't make the meeting. Right. Okay. And he was kind of asking me how to fix his car. I am so totally ignorant about cars, <laughs> but my wife grew up raised by a farmer slash toolmaker who knew how to do everything. And 
He taught her. And so my wife spent a half hour on the phone with him analyzing, discussing, making some recommendations, and it just kind of – she got done, and I said, well, he can't make it to the meeting. We aren't having open table. And she looked at me and said, we just did. Oh, wow. And yeah. that's what it's about, yeah. taking our life experience, yeah. our social capital – our human capital mm-hmm. and making it available to someone who doesn't have access to it any other way it's really rewarding yep that's really exciting how about how about some, some stories about your experience with your table your you have a sister right uh, on your table or um actually it, you know this young person came about not through the tables but okay. um i got recruited not long ago to do this <laughs> and my hope is that we will you know, be able to take a separate table to my church ministry. Okay. I think, um, you know, when you think there's somewhere in Philip, Philip uh, Philippians that says that, you know, we, each of us are charged to demonstrate God's grace and to do it in a way that we serve faithfully by demonstrating it to our brothers and our sisters. And I think that the tables is that concept that you can do that um, where we recognize there's a need. So my involvement has been more from a systems of care perspective and a support system. But really my hope is that I will be able to um, have this presented to our own church ministry um, rather than just kind of floating at this point um, amongst the already existing tables. But my experience with this young woman was very much that was described as is really about sharing yourself and recognizing that this is something that's needed. And quite honestly, I think if you were to, you know, look back at our communities 50, 60 years ago, that's what they did. Yeah. They yeah. made sure that the community was taken care of. You yeah. Didn't. This is just this is just replacing what we <laughs> used to is. have. It is.